Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. The entirety of today's program is going to be devoted to the corporation, the basic unit that organizes and delivers the goods and services that we all depend on to lead our daily lives. You know, in the history of the human race, we've had slavery, and the core of that was the slave plantation. And we've had the medieval or feudal times for a thousand years, and the core institution there, producing goods and services, was called the feudal manor. And in our era, the capitalist system also has a core productive unit. It's called the corporation. And corporations, in case you're not familiar, do the bulk of the business in the United States. We have many, many medium and small businesses, but they depend on and are accessories to the core monster corporations that dominate our economy, however much we may not like that or wish it. And I want to focus on making sure everyone understands how they work exactly, how they function, and why the conclusion is that that unit, that way of organizing production, is fundamentally undemocratic, unjust, and unnecessary, just as the human race found the slave plantation and the feudal manor to be. I'm going to begin by making sure we all understand how corporations are organized. At the very top are those who own the corporation. What does that mean? Most corporations are shareholding corporations. They issue little pieces of paper that give you a share of the company, the corporation. And those are the people who vote, deciding basically what the corporation is going to be doing, how it's doing it, and all those basic decisions. But here comes the first undemocratic arrangement. Is it one shareholder per vote? No. The voting by the shareholders is done according to the shares they own. There are, for example, hundreds of millions of shares out there for each of the major corporations in this country. Wow! That means if you owe 10 shares, you have 10 out of maybe 50, 60, 100 million. Or to say the same thing in simple English, in shareholding, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. It matters only one thing. How rich are you? How many shares are you able to buy? Because that will determine how much of a vote you get. The richer you are, the more votes you get. The less rich you are, the fewer votes you get. And now the statistic you should file away in your head and never forget. The 10% richest people in America own 80% of the shares. You get it? They own the corporations of this country. The next level in a corporation is called the board of directors. 
Let me explain. These are the people, and by the way, in most corporations, it's between 10 and 20 individuals, small group. Those people who are the board of directors are elected by the shareholders using the one share, one vote system. So the richest 10%, since they own 80% of the shares, it's the same 10% who select who's on the board of directors. That's how you get there. If you don't know these rich people who own 80% of the shares, your chances of getting on the board of directors are about as good as your chances of winning the lottery. What does the board of directors do? All the basic decisions. You might call it the big ones, you know. What does this corporation produce? What technology does it use? Where does it decide production will occur? Whom does it hire to do the work? And what is done with the profits that everybody helps to produce? Those key decisions are made by the 10 or 20 people on the board of directors who are elected by the 10% richest Americans who own 80% of the shares. One of the things a board of directors does is hire the chief officers. Sorry it's complicated, but they've worked this out this way. Chief officers include a name you probably have heard of, the CEO, the chief executive order. The top order, the top officials, the executives, if you like, are hired, chosen and hired by the board of directors. And they get the big salaries if the board of directors decides to favor them in that way. And now the bottom. The bottom isn't a small group. The bottom is the mass of employees. The officers hire the employees. The board of directors hires the officers and the shareholders elect the board of directors. You know what that means? Everything about a corporation is decided by the top 10% or the people they choose, not by the people impacted by what the corporation does, the community where it's located, the people who breathe in the exhaust that this corporation dumps into the air the pace of the work the masses of people who are employees do. No, all of that is decided by this tiny group at the top. Are they accountable to the people they impact in the community? No. community doesn't vote on who's on the board of directors. Has no say at all. The workers? Ditto. Nothing. Do your job. All the key decisions about the economy you live in starting with the wage you earn, the work you have to do, the economics of the community you live in, all of it, decided by a tiny group. This is the opposite of democracy. Corporations are not about democracy. When you cross the threshold into the factory or the office or the store where you work, you leave the democratic realm. 
It might exist in your community. You get to vote on the mayor who has power over you. You get to vote on the senator or the governor. You have at least some, not enough, but some influence. You cross into your workplace, you've got none. You are told what to do, how to do it, where to do it, when to do it. And at the end of the day, you go home to get ready to come back and be told what, how, where, and when to do it the next day. By the way, that's not freedom. Because if you quit, you know what your options are? To go on welfare for a while where you won't be treated as a free person either, or to go work for another corporation that will treat you more or less the same way. 10% of the people own 80% of the shares, and they run these corporations and then run around the world and tell everybody, this is the land of freedom. What? What do you mean? You've excluded democracy from the workplace. Capitalism has always done that. Keep it in mind. Okay, now let's watch how they work. And here we're going to note the truth which is the tiny group of what are called major shareholders. See, it turns out that wealthy people often give their shares or own their shares through a trust department of a bank, through a family office, they're called, through a venture capital fund. They give it to people who are experts, who get paid very, very well, and they're the ones who decide what corporations' shares to buy. And these firms, sometimes these days called hedge funds, own and speak for a lot of very rich people. So when you gather the shareholders of these corporations into an annual meeting, which they all have, it turns out 20, 40, 60 people arrive, even though the shareholders maybe numbered in the tens of thousands. That's because the shareholders all have few shares. Their votes will never matter to anything. There's no point in them spending money to go to wherever the annual meeting is, stay in a hotel two days, and sit in a room where what you can do is vote, but nobody cares because you don't have enough shares to make your votes count. So very often, very few people come, and they come come from a hedge fund or a bank or something like that, stock brokerage, where they come together and vote on behalf of all those who have entrusted them with their money, all the rich people who entrust those kinds of entities with their money. So a handful of individuals come who are the major shareholders, you bet, representing the interests of that top 10% that owns 80% of the shares. They sit down with the board of directors, who are the people they elected, and they tell them together they work out what the company is going to do. And I want you to be clear what that means. Are we going to see millions of jobs destroyed and replaced by uh, machinery, by robots, by computers, by artificial intelligence? Who makes that decision? Now you know the board of directors and the major shareholders. You lose your job, they're the ones who decided to do that. 
do they close the factory in Cincinnati or in Chicago or in Los Angeles and open another one producing the same stuff in China or India or Brazil? You want to know who makes that decision? The government? Not at all. The workers? Not at all. The corporations do that. Corporations, and that means the major shareholders, often 20 or 30 people, with the board of directors, they, they chose 10 or 20 people. That's it. They got together and they said, we can make more money in China than we can in the United States. So we're leaving. And the American government said, have a nice trip. And the American workers said, what happened to me? My job, my family, my community. Tough. It's how the system works. True enough, that's exactly how it works. The same people who decide whether or not you'll be replaced by a machine will also make the decision, based on which is more profitable, whether you'll be replaced by a worker in another country to whom they can pay much less and upon whom they can impose much more awful conditions. The thing we call globalization, fancy word, or technological progress, another fancy term. These are simply dresses, clothing, the naked profit-driven decision of corporate executives run by their directors, selected by the, yep, major shareholders. This is not a system based on running the government, running society by we the people. It is a terrible joke to refer to a country as democratic that has organized its economic system in this way. It's blatantly, obviously, and totally undemocratic. We've come to the end of the first half. Please stay with us, and I'm going to talk to you more about the implications of the corporate capitalism we live in, with, and under. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. We're going to continue examining the American typical large U.S. corporation, the dominant institution, not the only one. I'm fully aware of small businesses, of partnerships, of all kinds of owner-run enterprises that are an important part of our economy. But the dominant position, as those honest small business men and women will tell you, the dominant position is played by the large American corporation. And that's what we analyzed in the first half. I'm going to continue now and drive two or three basic points home, or at least try to in an effective way. When we look at the decisions made by the board of directors, 10, 20 people, and the major shareholders, 20, 30 people above, that tiny group in corporations that can have 10,000, 100,000, a million employees of all kinds, supervisory, non-supervisory, but it's a very strict hierarchy. It's a pyramid wide at the bottom and very narrow at the top. 
we were talking about all the things it can do. And we ended up with technology to choose, which means whether to replace workers with machines or not. Globalization, whether to locate production here or there. If you know much about the problems of cities and towns and states in the United States, you'll know that they're always desperate. You know what they're desperate about? Bringing corporations into their city, town, region, state. Why? Because they have to make it attractive so that the jobs will be where their people live, so that the taxes that they need will be paid by such corporations. The corporations have the politicians in the palm of their hands. It's not corporations begging the politicians for help, although in extreme moments they do that. 99% of the time, it's the politicians begging who again? The board of directors who make all these decisions and the major shareholders. Not the mass of people. Them. Come to our town. We'll give you a tax holiday. We'll give you a a road built over there. We'll give you a subsidy. We'll give, we'll give you, and you know where those monies come from given to the corporations? Your taxes, my tax. Again, see how the system works? Wide at the bottom, narrow at the top. But I want to go on because the corporate elite at the top, boards of directors, and of course, the CEO, those top executives who do what the board of directors that hired them tells them to do. They're the ones who decide whether to move or not, whether to automate or not. But I want you to see other decisions they make. One of the things that's really cute is that the board of directors decides how much the executives are going to get paid because they're the paymaster. The board of directors writes the checks for everybody below them. Aha. So the board of directors decides executive salaries. Well, let me give you a factoid that you might like to think about. In the 1960s and 70s here in the United States, the average salary of an executive CEO was between 40 and 60 times bigger than the average salary of an employee. 40 to 60 times richer. Pay for the executive, the ones who do run the institution the way the board of directors and major shareholders want them to. What is the ratio, roughly now, between what top executives get and the average of the employees they lord it over? 40 to 60 to 1 back in the 1960s, 300 to 1 now. Boards of directors have been very generous with the folks at the top, not at all similar to what they gave folks at the bottom. They take care of themselves first and the mass last. That's not democracy. The mass of workers would never vote in a free election, never allow. To have the executive get no more than, I mean, the 1960s, 40 to 60 times. 
And that would free up a lot of money in the corporation to do wonderful other things. Set up a daycare center at the workplace. That might be something that would benefit lots of people. No, 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 no. No democratic decision-making whatsoever. Here's another thing that the corporations do. They decide whether to grow the enterprise or not, build it up or not, build it up in America or somewhere else. All those decisions about how to use the profits the company makes. All of the workers help produce these profits, and they are excluded from deciding what to do with what they did. You have to be very uninterested in democracy, or even being a self-standing human being to go along with a system like that. Here's another thing boards of directors and major shareholders do. They decide to use part of the profits that we all help them make as employees to control politics. They give millions to political parties, to candidates, to all over the place. It's a scandal. We have to have laws and Supreme Court decisions to try to keep some limit on it, and they haven't been successful. They buy the political system with an enormous amount of money that we, the workers, help to produce those profits used to control the politicians. We, we moan and gripe about politicians. We say they're in the pockets of the big businesses. But I'm explaining to you that the corporation is set up in a way that, of course, that would happen. We don't participate in any way to prevent that from happening other than complaining about it. And here's a fourth thing corporations do that affect our lives, but we have no control over, especially in America, perhaps here more than anywhere in the world, corporations seek to control the buyers of whatever it is they sell. And to do that, they've invented an industry bigger here than anywhere in the world called advertising, and they spend a fortune of their profits hiring specialized professional advertising companies. And here's what they do. Whatever the product is, a hamburger, a pair of shoes, a software program, it doesn't matter. Their job is to go out there and do something which, in the good old English language, is called lying. Here's what they do. They tell you everything good about that product. And there may be some things. And they minimize or hide everything bad about that product. If they're dishonest, they make up good qualities the product doesn't have, and they make up bad qualities that the product doesn't have, just to make the advertising, they hope, more effective. And you know what this does? It, it contradicts what every one of us got taught at some point in our education that the truth of something has to look at the good parts and the bad parts, to face them, to admit them, and then to weigh them and come up with a conclusion about the object, knowing what's good about it and what isn't. If you want someone's opinion about something, you want them to give you an honest assessment of what's good and bad. You wouldn't talk to a person who only told you good things about whatever you asked. 
you'd know that person was either lying or making a big mistake. In the case of the corporations, we don't have to worry that they're making a mistake. They get paid way too much for that. They're lying. They're teaching us as a culture to not tell the truth, to hype one side or another. The Democrats say, the economy right now is really good. Mr. Trump and the Republicans, it's terrible. Both of them are useless. One of them cherry-picks the numbers to make it look good, like an advertiser, and the other one cherry-picks other numbers to make it look bad, like an advertiser talking about the competitor. It's a childish, dangerous, dishonest way of proceeding. And it's really not the fault of the advertisers. They're doing their job. It comes out of the logic of the corporation. We make money if we sell whatever we produce. And we're going to hire people to hype everything we do in the name of making more money. You put all these impacts together, and this is so far from democracy, it's almost a bad joke. The culture, the jobs there or not there, the income there or not there, the begging of our political leaders so that the corporation would not leave our town or another one would come to our town and let's see what we can give them and not face the fact that if we give them a million dollars, that's a million dollars we don't have for the parks in our town or the children in our schools or any of the other things we need. The corporation, like the slave plantation, like the feudal manor, is an institution to which our response ought to be, wow, we can do better than that. We can. Those at the top, when that narrow peak of the corporation, for them, this situation is great. They've become wildly wealthy. Think of Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or all the other billionaires parading around. That's our work and our effort that created that wealth. They've got a system going that concentrates it at the top. And as the difficulties of American capitalism deepen, as they have been doing for years and are only going in that direction even faster now, it will become clear to people that this system doesn't work. And it's for that reason I wanted to go over the chief institution that runs and defines this system, the modern American corporation. What would doing better than that mean? Well, that's something we talk about often. That's something we will devote programs to in the future. But I can sketch it for you in the time we have left. First and foremost, simple democratize the corporation. Make it a democratic community. You know, there's a joke I tell, and my apologies for those of you that have heard me do it before. Once upon a time, all of society was run by a handful of people, at the top of which was the king or the queen. And the king and the queen tried to tell all of their lowly people, whom they referred to as our subjects. They tried to tell them, you need us. Without us, society would fall apart. We keep it all hanging together. When they were religious, they said, we intercede with God. 
on your behalf. Whoa. Then at a certain point, people couldn't stand it anymore. And they got rid of the kings. They overthrew monarchy. And they substituted a community of some sort of democratic equals. We all have one vote. Ideas like that. And they thought they had vanquished the kings. Wrong. The kings were clever. They changed their outfit and they changed their name. And they went inside the corporation and reappeared in their new outfit, CPO. Inside the factory, we still got kings and they need the same response. That's the beginning of a real solution to the problems of American capitalism. Thank you for your attention, and as always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week.